turn in God's Word tonight to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, Mark chapter 4, as we continue our series in Mark's Gospel. We begin reading at verse 35, and we'll be reading through the end of the chapter. Mark 4, 35 through the end of the chapter. Let us hear then the breathed out word of God to you and I this evening. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and just pray that we may benefit from knowing that you care for us in every way, and may we just be led to trust you in all things, we pray. Even as the disciples were told to trust him, we pray that we may trust you. And just bless Pastor Bob as he brings the explanation of this through the preaching of the word. Just bless all of us through that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I titled the message tonight, In Awe of Jesus. Reflecting upon this last verse, this 41st verse, and the response of the disciples, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's the title of the message, but the real question is this, are you in awe of Jesus? Are you in awe of Jesus? Three things to look at this evening. First of all, the context. Secondly, the storm. And then thirdly, we'll come to that point of the awe that uh, this passage ought to bring to our own minds as we contemplate that which Christ does in this passage. First of all, the context. We're given it in the first couple of verses. On that day. 
on that day. If we go back uh, and try to figure that out, it would mean the following as a breakdown. In the morning of that day, Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders and charged with having done his miracles by the power of Beelzebub. That's the way the day started. The midday involved his family seeking to bring him away from the crowd because they thought he had lost his mind. On that day, on the day of the charge of blasphemy, on the day when his family thinks he's crazy, out of his mind, on the day that has been filled with parable upon parable upon parable. Parables in the public arena. Parables explained on the side to the disciples. It's been a day of great crowds. It's been a day of great challenges. It's been a day of great teaching. Evening has now come. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And we know that in nature, that which follows evening is night. They are setting out to cross the Sea of Galilee... In the evening, and by the time they reach there, it's going to be night. The one thing I want you to keep in mind is this. Jesus is not oblivious to that which is about to happen. Jesus is not aware of that which is going to take place in but a few hours. Jesus is fully aware of the threat that lies ahead of them. He knows the storm is coming. He says, get in the boat, let's go. Not away from the storm. Not let's travel by by foot around this sea because I perceive that a storm is coming and I don't want you to have to go through the storm. Instead, get in the boat. Let's cross. Let's head right into the middle of this thing. Oh, the disciples are unaware. They don't know what's ahead of them, but Jesus knows exactly that which is coming. And that ought to be the first point that we just stop and think about in the context of this day. Because in the context of your life, in the context of my life, Jesus knows exactly what is coming. He is not unaware. He's not unaware of the storms that are approaching in your life and in my life. He's not unaware of the crashing waves and of the great wind that is about to overtake this sea. 
He is fully knowledgeable of it. And he steers them right into it. That's the first thing. Jesus knows the storm is coming. Secondly, then, let's spend a few moments talking about this storm. And part of it, you see, is, is we have to understand the, the sea's location. We are not given here all the details about that, but we know these details that accompany the Sea of Galilee because that is where they are. Some of those details of location are very important. The Sea of Galilee is located at the northern end of the Jordan Valley. Behind it, to the north, stands a mountain 9,200 feet tall, Mount Hermon. Surrounding the Sea of Galilee are steep cliffs into which are cut very precise, narrow passages. The sea itself is some 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. Let's cross 7 miles. At night. Let's go. The Sea of Galilee is located some 620 odd feet below the Mediterranean Sea. In other words, it's in a depression. It's in a hole. And because of where it is situated, because of the way in which thermal dynamics works because of the way in which the hills rise and are cut and because of Mount Hermon to the north, frequent storms are not unheard of. The wind, we are told, even today comes howling through these various crevices that are cut into the rocks. And because of the way in which it's cut, it isn't just an onslaught in one direction. The winds are constantly swirling. They're moving in different directions. So try as you might to steer a boat on a course, it becomes virtually impossible to do so because the direction the wind is going one moment, it's going to change the very next moment. And when it changes the next moment, it's going to change its course the next. This is the Sea of Galilee. Let's get in the boat. Let's cross to the other side. We're not on just uh, a little lake where you might have your cottage. Once in a while, the wind comes and you get some little white caps and you go, oh, this Lake's really rough today. This is a sea that is large enough over the course of the, the size of the lake to whip up some pretty big waves. And you see, that's what we're told here. We're told that they're crossing the sea, but then we're told that there was this storm. Verse 37, a great 
windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. Mark and Luke uh, use a term uh, that in the Greek is lilops, which means a whirlwind, severe gust, sudden gust, that are like coming and going, coming and going, increasing in intensity. Matthew actually uses a different term to describe what happens here. He uses a Greek term called seismos. And if you listen to that, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I think I got some, some reference to that. Isn't that the, the word that, isn't there some instrument they use to, to, to measure earthquakes? Yes, that's right. See, what Matthew is saying is there was not only wind, but it's like the, the sea had a sea quake. Like the, the waves just suddenly erupted in a way that, that wasn't normal, in a way that, that they are unaccustomed to. See, they might be used to the, to the windstorm, but it's the fact that these waves have kicked up so high, so large. It's sudden to them. There is this upheaval of water, so much so that we are told here that the boat was already filling. Imagine you're out there in a your small fishing vessel. We are told that, generally speaking, these boats were not large. Some of them generally ranging in somewhere in the area of 15 to 20 feet. It's not a huge boat. It's not a ginormous boat that are out there in. But it's filling. The waves are crashing over this thing. The wind is turning them every which way. This is the situation that Mark is describing for us that the disciples are in. A storm, by the way, and I'll remind you of it again, that Jesus already knew was coming. Jesus already knew they were going to be in this storm. The third thing I want you to note about the storm is not just the sea's location, not just this uproar, but the threat. Some of you, okay, I, I've never watched a full episode. I've never watched more than a couple of minutes of it. But, but from what I understand on some of the, I think it might be the cable stand, channels, there's this show uh, the world's deadliest catch, and it seems like every time they're out in the boat, they're always in the midst of the storm, and I'm wondering, these guys need new radar. because The waves are always crashing over the thing, and somebody's always getting sick, and they're always worried and concerned about whether or not they're going to get the catch back in and all that sort of thing. I'm reminded of that when I think of this storm. These are experienced fishermen. These are men who know the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. And what do they say? Look at verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
experienced, seasoned, hard, brave, courageous, men who have fought storm upon storm upon storm upon this sea are now, we're going to die. This is it. All the things we have been through, that we are dying here out in the sea tonight. And you must know that the situation is pretty desperate because they're asking help of a carpenter as far as what to do. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Seasoned fishermen asking a carpenter, what are we supposed to do? In the one sense, it is a good thing that these men turn to Jesus. In another sense, it's a horrible statement of a lack of faith. Don't you care that we are perishing? So thirdly, that brings us then to the awe. And there are four things that, as, as we look at this event, four things to stand back from and to be in awe of. One is the incarnation. Jesus is sleeping. It doesn't, doesn't that just kind of take your mind and you're going, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Pastor Bob, you've been in Isaiah chapter 9. We've been through the name and the people and we've been through the sovereignty this morning. All these glorious words and passages. Yes, we, we, we get it. We understand it. But he's sleeping? Why is he sleeping? The answer to that is he's tired. That's why he's sleeping. He's not sleeping as a, some sort of test. Oh, hey, we're going out into that storm. Let me lay my head down on this cushion and I'll just pretend to fall asleep here. And let me see what the disciples do. This is not a test. He is sleeping. And the wind's blowing. And the waves are crashing. And this boat is being tossed all over the place. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Why? I'll say it again. Because he's tired. Can you imagine how tired Jesus must have been if you can sleep through a storm like this? If you can be on a small boat in the midst of the Sea of Galilee with a whirlwind, with a sea quake going on, with the boat filling with water, 
and your head still resting up in the front of the boat, sleeping. See, here's where I say there is the wonder of the incarnation. There's that, that, that reminder of the fact he was like us in every way. Sin, the only exception. The Son of God adored by angels. The wonderful Consular, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, mighty God, the one upon whom the sovereignty and rule of the world rests, is tired. He's sleeping. Perhaps it's our reaction to the, the liberalism and the secularism of the day and age in which we live. Maybe the whole thing is a response to the, the liberalism of, you know, even the early 1920s and the denial of the virgin birth. You know, sometimes I, I wonder and I'm concerned that in my own heart, maybe the pendulum has gone too far, that, that I see only the divine. And I forget about the humanity. Maybe you have that too, that, that even when it comes to thinking about the birth of Jesus, We're way down the, the pike in that which is happening. And we're, we're dealing with the cross and the ascension, the resurrection and the reign of Christ. And we're not thinking that it was a baby born in Bethlehem. We want to put halos over his head. As he lies in the manger. We want to have glory shining out of the stable. Maybe because we just don't want to deal with the fact that he was tired and hungry. But if there is a passage that brings it out, it is this one. He's sleeping. Oh, the marvel, the marvel that we should have at this incarnation. God in flesh appearing. That which he was willing to do for you and for me. The God who calls into existence the stars and the universes.
is tired, is sleepy, and willingly subjecting himself to all that it means to be human. For you, for me. Marvel at his incarnation. Secondly, we should marvel at his patience. Think of all that's gone on so far in the, the Gospel of Mark. Think that all that Jesus has done, the healings that have been performed, the evil spirits that have been cast out, the teaching that Jesus has conducted, And the disciples have the audacity to say to him, don't you care that we perish? Well, one wonders why when Jesus awoke, that's what the passage tells us, he was really sleeping because he awoke, that when he awoke, he just didn't go, okay, this is enough. Be gone, you guys. I can't believe everything you've seen and witnessed. These men of such little faith. These men filled with such great fear. These men who Jesus has just spent the day teaching about the seed that is going to grow and the kingdom that is going to expand. And they don't get it. Oh, the patience of Jesus. Why didn't he just get up in the boat, step over the side of it, and walk away and say, you take care of it. You deal with it. If you don't think I care, then perish. I'm in awe. I marvel at the patience of Jesus with these men. But that only makes me marvel all the more at Jesus' patience with me. Are you in awe of Jesus? His incarnation? His patience with you? Me? Our little faith? Our doubts, our unbeliefs, our fears. Or don't you care? Statements that we make to the Lord. So thankful for the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. I marvel at I'm in awe of it. 
Maybe it's because so much of my life has been lived with impatience. Whether it's on the road, whether it's with my family, with my wife, with life. Come on, let's go, let's move. Patience of Jesus. Something for us to marvel at. Thirdly, the third thing to marvel at is the power. Yes, we finally get there. And that, that is something truly to marvel at, is it not? But, but let's examine it. Here it is. We've got the wind, the whirlwind. We've got the, the sea in, in a sea quake with waves billowing over this, this boat. He awoke, says verse 39, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace, be still. And that's it. That ends it. Do you see the unusualness of this? Oh, not just in the peace, be still, but in the fact that immediately it ceases. You ever seen wind do that? Have you ever seen wind just stop? Or are what we accustomed to is, yes, it's blowing now at 35 miles an hour. The forecast is that by 6 o'clock it's going to blow at 25. And then by 10 o'clock the winds will diminish to 15. And then by 1 a.m. the winds will die down to 2 or 3 miles an hour. Who knows of wind that goes from 60 miles an hour to zero? You ever been out on, the, on a lake? The waves? Immediately stop? And that storm can go over and those waves just keep coming and coming and coming. And most of us are dealing with it on just a little lake. Here's this big sea. Maybe a little lap of water against the side of the boat. See, the disciples are aware and know that the storms on the Sea of Galilee come and go quickly. As quickly as they come, storms leave, but they've never seen anything like this. This is beyond description. This is beyond explanation. This can only be the one who can control the winds and the waves. This must be the one of Psalm 89.9, you rule the weight raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Some of you have experimented with being out on Lake Michigan with gusty winds, and you know what it's like out there. Imagine the one moment your boat is up and down, up and down, up and down, and the next moment, it's like a sea of glass. 
the disciples are in awe, great fear, great reverence, great respect. They're marveling at the power of Jesus. Do you? Do you marvel at his power? Or do you shortchange him? Do, do you think the Lord's arm is constantly too short? Do you think there are things that, that Jesus just is incapable of doing? He just can't do it. He can't repair that relationship. He can't heal that disease. He can't forgive that sin. Do you limit the power of Jesus? Or do you stand in awe? Do you marvel at the one who can simply say, peace be still, and winds are done and waves are ceased? See, that's what this passage calls us to do. But there is one more marvel. There's probably more, but one more that I get out of here. It's the marvel of his love. Remember where we began? Jesus knew where they were going. He knew they were going to the storm. And he already knew not one of them was going to perish. We already knew. Know how we know that? Because when you turn to John chapter 17, Jesus is praying at the end of his earthly ministry. In that night before his crucifixion. And here he is praying for them. Let's turn to that a minute. John chapter 17. Let's go down to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they are, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Hear what he's praying? Lord, you gave me these 12 guys. I've guarded them. I've kept them. 
I've protected them. Oh, all except the one, Judas Iscariot. But I've kept it. Don't you care that we're perishing? Oh, brother and sister, he cares. He cares. See, you go back in that passage in John to everyone who believes, to everyone who hears, to everyone who believes that I have been sent by you, to everybody who believes that I, Jesus, am the incarnate God. To everyone who believes that I was born. For everyone who believes that I am the child that is given. To everyone who believes, I guard, I protect. I know the storms. The disciples had no reason to fear. Because Christ was with them. The Lord of the wind and the Lord of the seas was sleeping in the front of their boat. Fully aware of the storm that is raging. And they're kept because of his love. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trial or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or storm? What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are that which the Father gave to him. We are the precious gift that the Father presented to his Son. And now he says, this precious gift, you, me, I am going to guard, I am going to keep, I am going to protect because I love that which the Father has given to me. Marvel at the incarnation. Marvel at the patience. Marvel at the power. Marvel at the love. Are you in awe of Jesus? God's people say, Amen. Father, we do thank you for this testimony of your word. For it speaks, Father, not only of a historical, real, actual event that transpired years ago on the Sea of Galilee, but it speaks to that which you continue to do in our lives today. And may we marvel, may we be in awe of Jesus.
In his name we pray and God's people say, amen.